1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 269. So far, two games, Scott, in this Red Sox series, the Yankees have listened to what we asked for and have not let the Red Sox celebrate on their home turf.
2: Yeah, this is a good thing. You know, I thought at one point when the Yankees needed, uh, were were playing, you know, such terrible baseball that maybe this would be a wake-up call. But I think they did the opposite. And they said, okay, we don't want them to celebrate and there's a good team coming in. That's our wake-up call. So either way, wake up call is there,
1: and it's been a, kind of a funny series because Tuesday's win. I after that thing, I just felt dirty watching that. Um, I know in your post game video, you said even when they win, it feels like they don't win.
2: Yeah, well, especially in that particular in that particular game, and I know we'll we'll get into all of it. But it, it, the way that it finished the game was just laughable. It was unbelievable the way that it was happening, and you know, um, just just the fact that. Uh, that Britain had two opportunities at the same play. I'm like, you, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, 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 this cannot happen again. Deja I'm,
1: vu all over again. Yeah,
2: and I'm saying that in the middle of the play, you know? Um, but thankfully, that would have been true.
1: That would have been true low point if that's how the Red Sox were able to clinch the division uh if on the yankees just absolutely puking all over themselves in the ninth inning yeah glad it didn't happen
2: right they tried so it's uh i think that's a good thing (laughs) that's like one of those that's like one of those games that you come out with a win and you're like holy shit maybe this maybe this turn things around like how did we even come out with a win on that one like you could you could make this a very good thing
1: you got that's a look yourself in the mirror type of game and say what am i doing with my life (laughs) right You wake up the next morning. I know you and I have done that many times back in college. You wake up the next morning and be like, what the hell?
2: College? No. (laughs) I've definitely never done it since.
1: But uh, quickly, a couple of housekeeping items before we get going into everything. Later on this episode, I was joined by Brian Fischler. He started Laugh for Sight, which is a comedy benefit to raise money for Blind Research. He is a blind stand-up, stand-up comedian, and he's a Yankees fan, and I have hung out with him a couple times over the last year. He's a really nice guy, uh, so I wanted to get him on to promote his benefit on November 12th, so stay tuned for that. Also, apparently me scalding the listeners to rate and review the podcast worked because we got a handful of reviews coming in. So everybody who's out there who has not given us a review and is still listening to the show – Go give us a rating and review in iTunes. Uh, it helps us out immensely. Um, it uh, makes our show more visible, which is which is how more people get to listen um, and how we're able to make more shows. And also, we are going to do something for the end of the season, end of the regular season. We're going to do a voicemail segment. We want you guys to call up and tell us your favorite and or least favorite mo- uh, memories from the season so far. So there's could be a lot of excitement, a lot of funny stuff in here. Um, whatever it is, if you want to call up and tell about something that you enjoyed, something you hated, make it around 30 seconds, make it quick, make it funny, make it energetic. Um, and we're going to put that voicemail segment together for one of the last episodes of the regular season. The voicemail line is six, four, six, four, eight, zero, zero, three, four, two. Yeah. I like it.
2: I'm, I'm excited for that segment. Actually. I want people to, uh, to, to give us their best, I think uh, some people will be it'll be interesting to see how many people channel the uh, first half Yankees or the second half Yankees or uh, living in the now the, the, exactly. with the playoffs coming up. So there's a there's a lot of ways this could go.
1: Well, the, the beauty about um, when you when you get so many different people calling in so many people's uh, memories is I mean, there were so many fun memories from the first half of the season. That I think people have forgotten about because of how dreadful it's been for two months.
2: Yeah, it almost doesn't even feel like it's the same season, honestly.
1: It feels like two different seasons for (laughs) sure, yeah. Uh, But right now, here we are. Uh, Week and a half to go in the season wildcard. They're two and a half over Oakland. And as we talked about last episode, they have the tiebreaker. So essentially, they have a three and a half game lead over the Oakland A's because they cannot tie them. But quietly, not so quietly, who the hell knows? Tampa and Kevin cash and Blake Snell and that bullpen is roaring up behind Oakland five and a half back. And they have the tiebreaker over Oakland because they are five and two against them head to head. So if they could somehow make up five games over the next week and a half on Oakland, Oakland, uh, Tampa actually gets the number two wild card.
2: It's pretty unbelievable that Tampa has made this run. I mean, really you, you hold a gun to my head and ask me where, where Tampa was going to be in the beginning of the season. And you know, I would be gone by, by a long, by a we long way. We mocked line.
1: their team, how bad it was.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because nobody knows anybody on that team. Like they've gotten a, Kevin Cash has gotten a lot out of all of these guys. So a lot of credit goes to him, honestly. And then that team and the fact that Blake Snell won 20 games is, is being like pretty much the only <laughs> starter on that team. Is That's un- the
1: one you predicted to win 20 wins this uh, year, right? Uh,
2: yeah, it was. You don't remember that? It's, um, but it's, it's impressive. I I, I got, I got nothing else to say, but it's impressive. And, um, you know, I'm I'm very I'm very much still worried about going to the trap that. Dump. Oh,
1: that's going to be a that's going to be tough four games. I think what the Yankees have to do, they have to finish off this home, stand strong, take care of business at home and then just go down into Tampa and split and survive. And I survive in Tampa. I can't believe If you're they do that. that then they will lock up home field in the wild card. Yeah, survive in temp. It's been a house of horrors this year. They got you got balls going off speakers. Uh you got you got uh Gary Sanchez not hustling. It's like there's some bad voodoo going on in that place.
2: It's you know the the one Clint Frazier finally gets back and is playing in the major leagues and hits like a big home run. No. Hit by a speaker not called <laughs> It, ridiculousness. I mean, just it, it encapsules um, his, his season too, like with the way that things were going, he just, you know, couldn't catch a break. Unbelievable.
1: See, this is the difference between George Steinbrenner and Hal Steinbrenner and the current, current uh, management and ownership. If George was still alive, he would do something to sabotage the trop down in Tampa. And that place would be torn down by, by next season because he would <laughs> not stand for how the Yankees have played down there.
2: Send a guy out there to cut one of those speakers down in the Something's middle of the night.
1: Something's going on. Some, something. Yeah. Find some asbestos in there or whatever.
2: Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's just a random uh, random city inspection. I mean, he's got pull in Tampa, so.
1: But we got Judge uh, this series officially back. He's actually Miami, back. Actually back yeah. in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, it was bullshit, as we said last time, that he that they were saying he was back when he, when he was just available to play defense and pinch run. But he played simulated games on Monday and Tuesday. And then because of the rain, I, I, I don't really understand this, <laughs> but because the game was pushed from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m., yeah. those six hours magically healed Aaron Judge's wrist fully, 100%, and he was able to get in there and swing a bat.
2: So the way that they were saying it was that it gave them more time. It gave Aaron Judge more time to convince everybody that he was okay. It gave him more time to ha- have a sim game, take some more cuts, and, and then you know convince everybody that he was fine. What I oh, think is okay. hilarious about this is is that they're they're running a sim game before the actual game, and he's doing all this work to convince them. So he's essentially playing a doubleheader now. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just work him more, and then and then go in there. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is he was back in the lineup, and uh, it's a lot actually sooner than I was expecting uh, after the weekend. You know, I thought we were going to see him. Uh, I thought we were going to see this drag on with him not hitting for you know through the Boston series, mm-hmm. and. Luckily we didn't, and he's he's back. Um, he's you know taking good swings, and like last night, you look at this one of these signs. His first base hit, which was Jeter esque, by the way, little opposite field uh, single, a uh, little flare opposite field single. But I mean, that was a a Joe Kelly what hundred mile an hour fastball that he oh, yeah. fought was an up off. and in tough pitch. That hurts the wrists if your wrists mm-hmm. aren't feeling so good. So, oh yeah, um, he's looked, he's
1: he's looked healthy at the plate. I think the first uh, at bat he had back didn't he hit something like a hundred mi- plus mile an hour liner out to right field. It was just an out hit right at somebody. Yeah. So he's uh, he's looking good and he's, he'll get his timing down. But it was the twentieth game affected by weather this year for the Yankees, and nineteen of the first nineteen were negative towards the Yankees. I guess finally they got something positive out of it.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, thank- thankfully, uh, the the day game was, was out. And now we get Mr. Aaron judge and it kind of, it kind of brought the stadium. I think, you know, a night game at the stadium feels different than a day game. Uh, Aaron judge in the lineup. Those a little bit of an energy, uh, energy boost there.
1: I also found this funny. Bob Kaplish on Twitter uh, tweeted out last night that uh, even a, uh, even a data driven manager, like Boone says there's an intangible to Aaron judges game. That's been evident since he returned to the lineup. I asked Judge to explain. It's hard to say let's go in the dugout <laughs> when you're on the DL just chewing gum. So we spent about 15 minutes mocking the Yankees activating Judge to give the team a boost last episode, and there it is thrown right in our face three days later that apparently him being activated was the motivation they needed to get off their ass and start winning some games.
2: Well, I mean, to 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 be fair... He's still chewing gum, yelling, let's go when he's not playing and still in the lineup. So the fact that when he's in the lineup, yes, I agree. That's a difference that when you see and you pencil in Aaron Judge in the two spot or in the three spot, wherever the hell you put him, but you put him in that lineup. That is a difference maker when he's just there like he was literally the rest of the time. And he's going out there and showboating or just like, you know, tipping his cap and like waving to people that's different. So yes, I agree. And I think it's, I think it's funny that he makes these comments and he's been clowning around. Did you see the video of him behind Meredith? Like this, this is the, uh, this is the type of shit that he's just, he's just staying loose and he's keeping the team loose. Uh, And you know, all that started when he was back in the lineup. He's like, okay, I can, I can feel better now. I could start joking around now because I'm back.
1: Well, we mocked the fact that the Yankees, we just sort of called the Yankees out for using this as a marketing ploy to sell more tickets. But we have never uh, or we have always said this season and for the last two years, this is Aaron Judge's team. And when he's there and healthy and playing, it's a totally different thing. So I think that's really what we're getting at here with this tweet is that Aaron? this is Aaron Judge's team and where he goes, the Yankees go.
2: Absolutely. There's It's, it's a thousand percent Aaron Judge's team, um, you know, I'll go out and say it like this: is the guy that we're probably going to see as as deemed the next captain of the New York Yankees at some point down the road. Probably not in that far too far distant future, honestly.
1: And that was something we talked about all winter when Stanton was coming over. Like, who's whose team's it going to be? Because Stanton's the 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 big swinging dick coming in. He's the guy who won the NL MVP, fifty nine home runs. They're similar in stature, and and uh, Stanton has always been the man down in Miami. And is it going to still be Aaron Judge's team? And uh, yeah. I mean, uh, that's not even a question.
2: Oh no, uh, and you know, it's Stanton's personality is is definitely more, um, you and I kind of like went back and forth on this and like how we describe his personality. And he's definitely an alpha. He's definitely the guy that like you walk in, he walks in the room, like, you know, he's there and and all of that stuff. And when he talks, you know, he's there, but he doesn't really talk a lot. He, he like, he keeps everything kind of, kind of packaged in until he's addressed. And when he's addressed, or if something happens that he's, uh, you know, involved in, then you start hearing him bark a little bit more. You hear hear his, uh, his voice more, but but on a day to day, you don't hear him as much. You know, he's he's definitely more in the uh, on the team side and just kind of taking care of his own stuff. And that I thought that was an interesting. Um, it's interesting to watch him on the on the daily and, and just you know how he interacts with the team and the media and all these things. Uh, but he's all business. You can tell that. And Aaron Judge definitely has a a different type of uh, more relatable personality than than Stanton does.
1: Well, I guess for Stanton, it's hard to say let's go when you're hitting a hundred and with one home <laughs> run in the month of September.
2: That's all right. He, he was uh, he was such a big reason why the Yankees, you know, remotely stayed in this after after his uh, his slow start. And I mean, he just started gotten this torrid streak in the middle of the season. So he's, doing, he's doing a little bit of a slump
1: when you look his. Well, this is more than a little bit of a slump. But when you look at his June, July and August, he was phenomenal and he played every day. What the hell happened it was like a light switch just got turned off and he can't find it anymore. I mean, maybe that's a good thing because when he does find it, we're going to see another one of those runs where um, I forget the exact date, but it was after he hit that walk off Homer uh, against Seattle hit something like 347 for two solid months.
2: Yeah, and he's known for that. I mean, he's definitely hit his streaks where he goes on on crazy runs. I mean, you see the opposite way too. But uh, you know, maybe maybe the timing is right where where he has been struggling for a while, and and uh, you know, hopefully he can start to find it because that would be something. That would be really really something if this if this team could find in the last week and a half, two weeks. uh, Well, we got two weeks uh, from yesterday for the wild card game where they can find uh, you know find that stroke and find that groove. It's definitely not too late for that. I think two weeks is plenty of time. To, to get, you know, the, the full confidence back of a team. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure.
1: Let's talk about Severino, who was the, yeah, the, number, one, the number one positive out of yeah. Wednesday's game by far. Wednesday's game was a lot of fun. A lot of stuff happened, which we're going to talk about. But one, if you just have one takeaway, it's Severino may have found his swagger again because he looked like the first half Severino, finally. We were kind of seeing glimpses. We'd, we'd grasp at straws almost in every one of his starts. We'd say, well, the fourth inning, he got four swings and misses, and he threw fastball, changeup slider, and it was great. But we saw it for a sustained seven innings on Wednesday, and that was after he walks Betts to lead off the game four pitches. I'm sitting there saying, well, shit, here we go again with Severino. He turned it around. He went to his changeup against Benintendi to get a couple swinging strikes, yep. and then it was kind of just... Severino from April, May, and June from there through the seventh inning.
2: Yeah, and I think what was his first uh, six pitches were balls. I think the first six, six pitches yeah. were balls uh, coming out of the gate. And you're, you're watching this, you're like, not again, please, not again. Because we're really watching to see how Severino and Sanchez work together, I think, as well. Not not just watching for for Severino's strengths, but just to make sure that these guys are, are, are on the same page and, and doing the thing. And, uh, you know, they, Severino could not find the strike zone for the first batter and a half. And then turned it on, clicked. He's like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with being this this this, uh, this second rate shitty Severino. I'm gonna just get back to the bulldog guy that that I know how to be. That I was in the first half, and it's like a, a light switch went on, and, and he turned into that guy because he was dominant again. And you could see the emotion. And I love, love, love the fact that he got the seventh inning and got through it, especially um, because of uh, you know who the who the last guy was. I'm striking out Mookie Betts, looking huge I mean it was just a it was a it was an awesome appearance
1: yeah that was a tough at bat too because Betts was falling off some pitches he he ended the game on 108 pitches and you could tell he was fired up he gave one of those screams as he as he struck him out froze him on a slider um yeah I agree I'm happy he went out there for the seventh inning I tweeted out a poll from from Bronx pinstripes after the sixth inning would you send Severino out for the seventh at this point it was only what was it at this point a four to one game right because the Yankees cacked on a bunch of runs in in the sixth inning. Uh, It was either a four or five to one game and 70 something percent of the people said, yes, you bring them back out. And I agreed with it. But then it was a long inning because the Yankees scored a bunch of runs and the Red Sox made a pitching change. And I thought maybe, all right, maybe this isn't the right scenario. Boone might, might just say, good job. You got six innings. Let's end on a high note. But, after seeing what happened, I was very happy he got that seventh inning.
2: Well, yeah, I mean Monday morning quarterback—you're looking at it because it could have gone wrong, and if it did go wrong, then you're like, "Why did he send him out for the seventh inning?" But at the same time, you know, this is something I tweeted when when people were uh, people were kind of pushing back on on him being out there for the seventh. Like, why why is he out there uh, for the seventh inning? And yeah, I think they did—they scored a bunch of runs in that inning. So, you know, when Severino is looking, you're trying to have him build. like confidence. To me, was a was a major thing in. in in how he is pitching lately. The kid just didn't have his confidence. It didn't seem like he had his swagger, and I think that goes a long way. Um, I think there were a number of other things that, that were into it, but you know, at the end, you need that confidence um, even if you're fully healthy and fully right. And getting him out there for the seventh inning so he knows he can go out there and, and pitch that seventh inning and get through it is so big, I think, for just the, the confidence and the internal um, you know, way that he drives himself because he knows he's not a six-inning guy. He knows he's not. You don't put him in the same category as, as Lance Lynn and these other guys who are going six innings. Like, I'm Luis Severino. I'm the ace of the staff. I need to go at least seven innings. And I'm glad yep. he did it. He gave him the confidence. And you could tell Boone was, uh, he was like stressing out there with two outs, um, pacing back and forth, talking to Rothschild, like, you know, making, and it seemed like doing everything he possibly could just to, to keep himself in the dugout. Um, and I'm glad he did because Severino made a great pitch to Mookie Betts. And you're right, that was a tough at bat. So, um, really, really good stuff. And the fact that it did end on that um, and he got out of the inning clean, I think just boosts his confidence even more.
1: Yeah, that's what separates Severino. That's what separated him in the first half was that he was able to go seven plus every single start, right? Where the other guys, like Hap, has been phenomenal. But he's six innings, six right. innings, Hap. Severino it, it, yeah. when, when Severino is at his best it's seven plus I mean that that is such a huge difference that's why he is and should be the ace of the staff because when he goes out there every fifth day you know you don't need to f- heavily rely on your bullpen and you're going to get um, a, a dominant start through the seventh inning.
2: And the other thing now that Tanaka has been pitching so well in the second half, I mean, this is a guy that's also going deeper into the games too. So you having having two guys that have the confidence and, and know that they can go deep into a game, um, it's just it's just so important because you know the bullpen can can stay fresh and and then when you have a fresh bullpen that's as good and talented as the Yankees bullpen and you have two guys that are going deeper in the games and then you know Happ has just been um the the epitome of of consistency like then these guys are just are, are that much more effective uh, I think when they're fresh and they're ready to go and they're and they're uh you know they're not throwing every day so uh, it just it the whole cycle, man. It's just, it's just, it's just, reviv- you know, it's like, a, it's oil in the engine. It just makes everything feel good. Uh, and, and then everything can click. It's it's the so, domino it's effect. Yeah.
1: When you get, when you get the, it's a, it, it's the domino effect. When you get Severino on his game, everything kind of falls into place afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at his inning by innings because someone was tweeting me saying that Severino struggles in the first inning. And I, you know, just sort of thinking about it, I agreed. But then I looked at his inning by inning ERA and, And it's kind of telling, and you can kind of look at these numbers and see the trends in his start. So he's got a 450 ERA in the first inning. And then innings two through four, he's dominant, below a 2.4 ERA. And then when the fifth inning rolls around again, 6.91 ERA. That sticks out like a sore thumb. Sixth inning, 4.19, and then seventh, eighth, and ninth, he's strong again. I know he only has a couple handful of innings in the eighth and ninth inning. But what those sort of things tell me is that like most starting pitchers, a lot of power pitchers, he doesn't have his good stuff in the first inning. And the, and we, we've we said that a million times. Severino's fastball is better on his 100th pitch than it is on his first pitch. And also, hitters are seeming to have the advantage when the third time of the order comes around and Severino needs to start making those adjustments. That's what's happening in the fifth and sixth inning.
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's Well, it's interesting too because you're seeing um... – you're seeing the the fourth inning, and that's that's when you see the top of the order most of the time, or you know the the top to the middle of the order come back around. But he still got that dominant ERA, um, and, and then fifth inning, you know, depending on how the game flow, obviously, uh, you are seeing these guys more circle on, and they're and they're and they're coming back up uh, again for for more at bats, and there's just more. More pitches have been seen, obviously, by the, uh, the opposing dugout. So, uh, you know, I'd be interested to see where those numbers split from the first half to the second half and how drastically they changed, uh, de- depending on the inning as well, because, you know, he just hasn't been right. And and the fact is, you know, over the past, what, 13, 14 starts um, when he's been struggling, he hasn't maybe been making it past the sixth inning, fifth inning. Um, That's so true. You, you're seeing a lot fifth of these. Fifth inning is
1: usually when the wheels fall off.
2: Exactly. So you're seeing a lot of the uh, the fifth inning. Like It seems like uh, we've we've seen a number of starts where he starts off slow, finds it a little bit, but then, can can't really like you know finish through the 6th and 7th and loses it around the 5th and seeing that the the 5th inning has almost a 7 ERA, like that makes a lot of sense for what we saw in the second half.
1: And if uh Severino maybe getting a swagger back wasn't fun enough to watch Red Sox fans just absolutely melt down about the short porch. Luke Voigt plopping a couple dingers to the short porch and then and Duhar with another one. Yeah, they were short porch cheap Yankee Stadium home runs. But you know what Red Sox fans your stadium is equally as dumb. You got the left field green monster. You got the pesky pole. Just think about it for a second and realize that everyone's hitting in the same ballpark. This is what happens every time you're here. Shut up. Luke Voigt two homers off that bum David Price.
2: I love it. I love seeing the fact that David Price just gets just gets mocked and uh, and destroyed again as as uh, the opposing pitcher coming against the Yankees. I think he's got like a 10 ERA against the Yankees this year. zero and three, something like that. I saw the numbers. I mean, the fact that that people are bitching about the right field pole or the right field um, fence is just dumb because, yes, both teams play there uh, on the same day (laughs) and they both have the same opportunity to hit the ball over that same that same exact fence. And uh, I'll tell you the good thing though. Circle Luke Voigt, his name now, because now in two games, he that those those two balls were were very very telling on how he approached, and the fact that he was you know putting those those. Uh, uh, he was late on the on the swing, but he was getting that bat right in the path and and just plopping it over over right field. Like that's a huge sign because he's another one of those guys that if he misses the ball, like Aaron Judge does, if he misses the ball, it's still going to get hit hard. So it doesn't matter how hard he hits it uh, to to right field. All he really has to do is make decent contact, whether it's late or not. And that ball has a damn good chance of going over the fence. And that's what we saw twice. So I, I actually love seeing that because to me, that's a that's a, a good hitter's approach uh, at Yankee Stadium, knowing that you could still be late. But if you have that bat in the same in the path that it needs to be, you have a chance of hitting the ball out of the park.
1: And O'Neill made this point on the broadcast. Price was using that cutter away to righties. So yeah. you try and pull that ball and you're going to ground it to shortstop. Exactly. But you go with the ball and you're going to hit line drives to right field. And some of them are going to go out of the ballpark. So it was a... Really good approach, like you said, by Luke the Haas Voight. But between him hitting the two homers and then going four for four, and then the night before, Neil Walker hitting the huge three-run homer, that's your first baseman for the for the the, the combination of Luke Voight and Neil Walker. That's your first baseman going forward. Bye-bye, Greg Bird. I mean, maybe see you next year at this point.
2: Yeah, there's, there's no place for him at this point right now. We're looking at the way that those guys are playing. You have a lefty-righty. Um, Voigt's just been playing too well to take him out of the lineup against uh, against lefties. You can't do it. The guy has been. Um, was that his ninth home run as a New York Yankee? I think I thought. Yeah, were, he needs one more, needs and then the Yankees more. have that record. Yeah. So, and and I fully expect him to hit that. You know, the the guy has been so good, and he's got such a freaking just a that attitude and charisma and energy that he brings to this this club. You know, with the with the freaking flying open uh, jersey that he doesn't even button it all the way down just so he could show little bit of a little bit of hoss on on the uh, on the chest out there like the, I don't know there's just something about the guy that 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 you could you uh you're drawn to and he's definitely got that that energy for this team so you could tell that the team uh really he really got embraced by the guys in the in the uh clubhouse as well um you know and he's got that attitude I think that's that's super embraceable uh by Yankee fans too like talking in the in the post postgame dugout, or in the um, interviews saying like, yeah, I got some booze early, but it's because I was, uh, you know, I was sucking or something like that. Something along those lines, like just calling himself out. Was anyone
1: really booing Luke Voigt? Like, I don't know. I don't bo- think anyone really I'm sure they knew were little- about, no one cared or knew about Luke Voigt. That was just the guy that Cashman exactly. got for, for Chase and Shreve. Like they were pretty booing- much anybody. I could have gone in there. Cashman could have said, I got Andrew Rotondi for Chase and Shreve. And everyone would be like, yeah, good move, Cashman.
2: I think people booed first base and whoever was you know That's not true. performing at first base. Like it doesn't enter enter name here. It doesn't matter who the hell it is. Uh, people are just so frustrated with the first base production. But yeah, no. Anyway, the guy's been just unbelievable and um, and I I love it. I think he's got a uh, he's got a really good opportunity here. So he's taking advantage of it.
1: What's going to be great is when he surpasses Bird in home runs this season in like a third of the at bats yeah. because Bird has eleven. I don't see him hitting another one. Maybe he'll he'll get a short porch dinger this weekend against Baltimore. But Voit has nine, Bird has eleven, and Bird has three times the playing time at this point in the season. Um, we also got to see Sheffield Justice Sheffield make his debut. And add him to the list of of Bronx Pinstripes show alumni to debut in the majors. But this is something that Yankees fans have been eyeing for about four months at this point. Um, And we thought he was going to play a bigger role in September when Cashman said that we're moving him to the bullpen for a September call-up. It took a while. It took longer than expected. Um, but they got him into a situation where it was a blowout. Um, I thought maybe they wouldn't do it against the Red Sox just because even if it's a blowout, it's still the Red Sox. But he loaded the bases, almost gave up a grand slam to Betts. (laughs) That would have sucked.
2: That would have been really bad. That ball did not miss by much.
1: No, Uh, but he bounced back, got the double play ball, wiggled out of it, and now he can exhale and move on to the next thing.
2: Yeah, I actually thought they were going to give him the eighth inning uh, in a blowout just just for a little less pressure than to – even, even if it's a you know a, a nine run game at that point or whatever it was uh, in the ninth inning to close it out I th- eighth inning was a little less pressure but it was really cool like the fact that he got out of it the fact that he got in he was really open about how his legs were jello he was uh you know he was nervous uh obviously coming in um it's a it's a big spot yankees red sox at at home um yes network had a really awesome cool video they had a cameraman behind him coming in Mm -hmm. from center field and just you could just see like you know take a deep breath pound the glove and and run out to um out out to the mound. It was a really cool shot. Something that he'll take forever for sure. Um but I'm glad he got through it and now he can laugh about the fact that he loaded them up, got the double play and uh and you know, no harm no foul.
1: Yeah, he you could tell. I mean, that that dribbler back towards the yeah, mound yeah. where he kind of stumbled. Right. Like, like things got to be moving a mile a minute oh, yeah. um at that point. So, uh understandable, but I think that that's telling that he was able to fight through it and, and get one of the best players in baseball to ground into a double play in a yeah. big
2: situation. No, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely was uh, one of the things he was saying. He's like, "Don't fall, don't fall, don't trip, don't trip." He definitely <laughs> almost did at first base. Oh, yeah. Like that was that was uh that was super close for him eating shit and like falling into Luke Voit.
1: That's actually like the jog from the bullpen out to the mound. like his like you said, his legs are jello. yeah
2: how many how many
1: players do you think have just stumbled over their feet and fallen face first on their on their big league de- big league debut? because that that seems very possible at that moment because y- your legs are almost separated from your body.
2: Yeah, you can get overtaken by, by uh, your nerves and emotions and things like that and you know thankfully uh, he was able to, to lock it down. So I'm excited for the kid. You know, I'm glad he got that opportunity and uh, we'll see, we'll see how he does as a, as a New York Yankee moving forward.
1: And uh, let's talk about Tuesday's win, which was also huge. Yankees got the, the big comeback on the, on the Walker go ahead Homer in the seventh inning um, off that Boston bullpen, which is their underbelly. No doubt. They, they have the uh, tied with Miami with 12 blown saves in the second half, which is the most in baseball. And then they have a great closer in Kimbrel. But other than that, Hector Velasquez, Joe Kelly, Matt Barnes, Heath Hembry, Brian Johnson. Like none of these guys are scary if you're facing them in the seventh or eighth inning in, in October. So really the blueprint to beat Boston is keep it close, get their starter out of the game, and then attack that, that seventh and eighth inning.
2: Yeah, no, it's huge, and, and for sure it got exposed. And when I saw that number with the amount of, uh, you know, blown saves in the second half, that's that's so telling, I think. Um, the fact that they really couldn't, you know, lock up the the, the bullpen at the trade deadline and, and you know, add uh, another guy to really solidify that thing was, uh, I think, a really important move. And I think it's, it's you know, it shows what they, uh, the makeup of their team. And, and you know, talking with... Um, some of the guys, uh, and looking at their at their depth, and looking at the way it's structured, the way that Dombrowski has done it, like they've practically gutted the farm system to go very top heavy, and they have a very good team. Obviously, they have a lot of very good talent in the major leagues, but they really didn't have much to give uh, to, to give people at the trade deadline to get that that one more effective arm that they needed. And I think that that's a big uh, that that could be a big piece moving forward. Uh, you know, uh, the fact that they couldn't make a, a move for that that guy that they needed so desperately.
1: And um, I think, though, with, uh, with what we saw in that game, I mean, even the Yankees struggled against Evaldi. Again, Avaldi's numbers are ridiculous with the Red Sox because he's thrown 14 innings against the Yankees and given up no runs, only five hits and 48 batters faced against everybody else, 26 innings, 658 ERA, and a 361 batting average allowed. So this guy is getting absolutely demolished against the entire league and the Yankees, for whatever reason, cannot hit Nathan Avaldi. I blame you.
2: I mean, he shows up. The guy knows what he's doing here. You know, he, he, uh, he could pitch at Yankee stadium. He doesn't, he doesn't give up uh, a lot of home runs, a lot of ground balls. He's pre- pretty much built for Yankee stadium, like the way that that guy pitches. So, um, I don't know. He gets another gear, I guess when he comes, gets the Yankees, a little bit of a uh, little bit of bitterness that they let him go to the Tampa Bay Rays for God's sakes. Um, I don't know how to explain it. The guy when he was here, he he always would give you. you we all knew what he was going to give you. It just wasn't deep in the in the game, but he always kept the 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 team in the game. And when he pitches against the Yankees, seems like he's uh, getting that extra ground ball. And you know, because the Yankees are so fly ball, home run happy, I think it just plays to his strengths too. Because he he does induce a lot of ground balls. He's low in the zone. Um, those types of guys are. are you know, they're just they're tougher for the Yankees to hit, I think. they the launch angle isn't as easy to get to when you get a guy that's, you know, throwing a heavy ball.
1: Yeah. It's it's infuriating to watch. Um just because of who it is. It's Nathan nasty Nate Evaldi, five inning of going seven plus every time against the Yankees. Uh and if they do make it to a division series against Boston, I expect to see him in game four because his success this year against them
2: i mean if you think about the way he throws and 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 just his repertoire and the, the way that the yankees approach you know their game as an offense it, it makes sense that, that that they would struggle against a guy like that i mean take his name out of, take his name out of the equation but look at look at how he throws and what he throws and it makes sense that this lineup this particular lineup struggles against a guy who throws a heavy ball low in the zone
1: maybe they're doping him Give him some false confidence in the regular season. So the Red Sox certainly throw him in the playoffs against the Yankees. And then that's when they bash him.
2: A lot of forward thinking on that one. (laughs) A lot of of forward (laughs) thinking on that
1: one. Hopeful planning ahead. And it almost didn't didn't matter because the Yankees almost coughed it up. Between the Sanchez pass ball earlier in the game, which set up the Red Sox only run. It was another unearned run for Hap against the Red Sox. To... The Sanchez pass ball strikeout to lead off the ninth inning, which he actually got the guy out at first. They got three separate double play balls in the ninth inning, and only turned one of them. The one, the first one, the ground ball to Hacheveria, where he throws the ball to Glaber Torres, and I've seen this a million times with Torres. He tries to make the play before he makes the catch, yeah, and the ball tips off of his glove. It happens all the time on these, these double play balls. It happens all the time on throws from the outfield, throws from the catcher. Glaber has the talent to make the unbelievable defensive play. He is a better advanced metrics fielder um, than I think people give him credit for, but it's these simple have-to-make-it type of plays that he like, just has a brain fart on, and it's, it's really frustrating.
2: It's not. A, I don't even think it's a brain fart. I think it's just his. His. Um. You know, he's moving too fast for his own body. You know, he's 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 already making that transition and that throw in his head, and his his. You know, the ball's not in his glove yet. So I think just, he just needs to slow things down a little bit, let the game come to him. As cliche as that is, but he does. I mean, he needs to make sure that that ball is hitting in his glove before he's mo- making the move. And I think again like when i'm seeing uh, when i when i when i see with uh glaber torres the deficiencies between him and his defensive game and tor or, and anduhar and his defensive game like i think both of these are very very fixable i think literally maturity and just time in the game with torres is going to clean that stuff up um and and you know he'll start making those uh you know those those routine things a lot more easily like yeah the ball was up the line a little bit but he's got to you know and and the, you know, for whatever reason, it's like he he didn't anticipate the ball as, as far out as it was, and he just alligator armed it. You know, to to try to make that throw, and the ball went into center field. But, um, yeah, he's got the very the least.
1: You got to catch the ball and just get the shirt one sure out,
2: right? But that's the thing; like he's not thinking that he's thinking double play, and that's where I think he has to slow things down and make sure that he catches the ball before he can throw the ball. And, and I think that's just, that's a that's just a. You know, just a maturity thing, and he'll he'll clean that up. I think those are those are just growing pains of a young player.
1: And then with Britain, with the double play ball which he threw into center field, that one's not Glaber's fault. That's no. a horrible throw by yeah. Britain. But that's every single Yankees pitcher, other than Tanaka, throwing to a base is <laughs> is a nightmare. Like we saw, we saw Batanzas have to shot put it to home because these guys cannot make that simple throw to a bag, even though they can throw it ninety six miles an hour to the catcher.
2: I mean, that that throw was like a quarterback leading his slot receiver into Ray Lewis. Like it was, <laughs> you know, the, the ball was r- practically brought Glibert into the slide um, and uh, and brought him into contact. So not only is, was it a bad throw, but it's a dangerous throw, because if your your shortstop is is going after that ball even a little bit more, you know, bad things can happen because there would have been a lot of contact there. And when when people aren't anticipating contact. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a terrible throw ball in the center field like you're, you're uh, at this point. I'm just like, this is not happening. I cannot believe what is going on right now. I'm getting flashbacks of just awful comebacks from the Red Sox. Uh, I mean, that's usually it's that Fenway. That is a comeback. a silver platter. But this is what's going through my head at that point. I'm like, you know, why? Why can't we have nice things? Why, why can't we have nice things <laughs> oh. right now?
1: I genuinely laughed out loud when Britton threw that ball into center field. That's the only reaction I think a fan who has watched this team day in and day out can have. Because it was embarrassing. And I I, I went full mental and I lost my mind after that throw.
2: Yeah. No, it was... it was it was hard to see it was hard to believe that it was actually happening (laughs) that's you know the complete meltdown by everybody
1: the hard thing to believe is that they actually somehow still won the game
2: yeah and that's what i'm saying you you play that terribly and then you still get the the um the the do-over double play by britain up the middle thank god they made the throw thank god they uh they got the double play and got out of that game with a win because you know that's the type of win you're like i don't know how they survived that uh thankfully they had a two-run lead at that point but um, that was their their saving grace was the, the the fact that Neil Walker hit a three run shot. And you know, when when you go back to that inning and you see that he hit that what seventh inning, right? He hit mm-hmm. that ball in the seventh inning after doing absolutely nothing against Valdi the entire the entire game for the entire team. You know, it's just it's just it just shows you how fast this team can get back into it and, and how how fast the momentum can swing. But you gotta clean up the defense. You gotta clean up the, the little things. To to make sure that those actually those those um those momentum swinging home runs they stick and that they actually keep momentum by doing the simple things like catching and throwing the ball.
1: Well, here's another reason why the Yankees were able to hold on to that game because it was Boston's B squad. They yeah. sent up Brandon Phillips, Brock Holt, Christian Vasquez, Sam Travis, and Ian Kinsler in the ninth inning. Not exactly J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogaerts and Mookie Betts.
2: No. Um but at the same time, they were giving those guys free at bats, so it's you know they, they still had them on base. It didn't matter who was up at that point. I mean, like they were just letting them on. It was right. uh yeah, it, it could have been worse. But at the same time as well, you know, Britain has been good. I mean, and you look at at the at the product and what happened in that night inning. Like he was still um, for the most part doing his job rather than the throw into center field. But doing his job, you know, when he's going and attacking the batters, he got the uh, you know the ground balls, he got weak contact. So he was doing his job and and look good again. You know when you're when you're looking at just the pitches.
1: And quickly on Hap. So another reason why I think it's super important for Tanaka or Severino to if Severino can 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 build on this game and have a couple good games before that wild card game, or if Tanaka goes in that wild card game, then you can line up Hap for two games against the Red Sox and a division series because this season against the Red Sox, sixteen and two thirds innings, only one earned run. Seven runs, he got a bunch of unearned runs when he was with Toronto in one of those starts. A 5.54 ERA, only 13 hits in those 16 innings um, and 22 strikeouts in those 16 innings. So he has really pitched well against Boston. I think they want to line him up for two games against the Red Sox.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know if if these three guys are going well and if severino i mean obviously the, the key to this entire thing is severino doing going well and pitching well towards the end of the season and continuing this momentum and continuing to to show that he's that same guy um just just lines the yankees up well because really i mean you could pick one of those three guys for this wild card game and i'm not going to get into that discussion again but you can you could pick one of those three guys and, and uh, you know if he if severino's going going well at that point you feel good about it um and and endo facto it does if you are able to win that game it lines up well and lines up nicely for that red sox series uh coming up having those you know those three guys pitching well and the fact that hap does have such good success against the the red sox so yeah it, it's like knock on wood um severino just to, needs to continue to uh to keep that confidence up and continue his uh, his, his improvements
1: All right. So final four home games of the regular season. One more against Boston. We have Tanaka against Rodriguez. Chapman has been activated. I thought maybe they'd give him one of those innings last night when it was a blowout as a tune-up inning. Um, and but maybe they're just going to throw him right back into the fire as the closer if if there's a one or two run lead tonight do you think he gets gets a shot at the save
2: yeah absolutely because how many times have we seen uh Aroldis Chapman come in in a non-save situation in a game similar to last night and just completely shit the bed by like, I know. walking everybody and you know how many but times but he
1: also does that when he doesn't pitch for a while, so don't you want to have him get that out of the way when it's an eight run nine run lead rather than when it's a two run lead
2: well i don't think he's that's the thing like i'm not sure he can get that out of the way in that thing in in, in that particular he's such a mindset guy and, and it seems like he gets up for those you know those uh the, those moments it's not like the the moment's going to be too big for him in, in a in a in a small in a in a close game as the closer spot. The bottom line is if he's ready and they think he's healthy and he's and he can do it now and and this is uh you know, how he feels, if he feels good, then they're going to put him in the role that he's supposed to pitch in. It's not like the moment's going to be big for him.
1: Yeah. And then three against Baltimore, who is on pace to lose 116. So well, let's make sure they get there.
2: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. They need to take care of that damn business. You see the you see the Orioles coming in. Um, you know, hopefully tonight all goes well and we don't see any celebrations uh, by the Red Sox because at this point when you have one game left, you certainly don't want to see it. Um, And if that if that is to happen uh, and then the Orioles come into town, you better wipe the damn floor with them. I mean, wipe the floor with the with the Orioles, because they have nothing. There's nothing left for them. They don't even have real players to play for anything like they don't care.
1: Uh, All right. Any last words before we move on to the Brian Fischler segment?
2: That's it, man. Uh, I'm excited to listen to Brian. I know um, I know he's a he's a good dude and a funny dude, and uh, the fact that he's a, he's got such an interesting story as a Yankee fan, um, uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear it.
1: Alright, guys, we will talk to you on Monday. And of course, NAS are the letters that spell. Joining the podcast now is Brian Fischler. He started Laugh for Sight, which is a charity that raises money for blind research. He is a blind stand-up comedian, and he's a friend of mine. We, we've hung out. We watched, uh, watched, listened to a Yankee game. I caught myself, Brian, when I said watched, and I remember I said that to you the night we went out to that bar, and I, I hope I didn't offend you with that one.
3: No, no, you know me. It's tough to offend me. In fact, that that will remind me to tell a story here. But yeah, I I, I don't know if the Bronx pinstripe fans are going to be disappointed because your original ge- guest tonight was Aaron Judge, but the good news is he's <laughs> back in the lineup. So I'm I'm pinch hitting for Aaron Judge on the podcast.
1: You were my next. You were my second call.
3: That normally happens after people think of Aaron Judge, they think of Brian Fishler, the blind comic, and, right? Yeah, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, no, it's funny because when you and I got together to watch uh, to watch a Yankee game. You're, you were very sensitive, and you're like, well, how do you watch a Yankee game in public? It's, well, find us a sports bar. It's New York City. <laughs> all I have to do is find one that will play the audio. And sure enough, I called all over Midtown Manhattan, and nobody would play the audio. I mean, what kind of a sports bar are you when you call up and you say, do you play the audio to the Yankees game? And they say, what do you mean?
1: Yeah, and we went out on, I believe it was a Thursday night. So it wasn't even like there was the bar was packed or anything like that with with people there to, uh, you know, whatever, get wasted and hook up with people on a Saturday night. It was a Thursday night at, at 7 p.m. Put the freaking audio of the Yankee game on.
3: Yeah, it is New York City and everything. And, uh, you know, I I was uh, in my neighborhood bar out here in Astoria last year during the playoffs. And uh, I think it was the game during Houston. Um, It was in Yankee Stadium when we were losing. And they do a lot of music at my bar, but they had the game on, you know, the audio, especially for me. And all of a sudden, some guy started tuning his guitar and with the Yankees losing, I went a little ballistic yelling out, don't make me come back there and go all Belushi on that guitar. And there were a couple of four-letter words in there. And the bartender and everybody's like, Brian, relax. That's what so, playoff baseball does to
1: a person. It, it makes you It makes you get a little antsy. It makes you go a little crazy because it's so tense.
3: It turned me into a blind hulk, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, you you came to laugh for sight last year was your first year, and uh, you know, we have our benefit coming up here not too long, uh, hopefully after the Yankees win the World Series, but right. uh, November twelfth at Gotham Comedy Club here in New York City over there on twenty third street, and this is our thirteenth year. Uh, hosting this benefit at Gotham.
1: Yeah, so just a little bit of background. So last, no, early... Last November, maybe late October, you reached out because you you listened to Scott and I, you listened to the podcast, you reached out and you said, "Do you guys want to come to this benefit that I host?" And I said, "Absolutely." Uh, I met you there for the first time. It was a, it was a great time. There's a silent auction, there's a lot of sports memorabilia, ton of hilarious comics. I know some guys have been coming for the entire run of Laugh for Sight, right? Robert Klein's been there pretty much every year, I know. Is that that's yeah. what you said?
3: Yeah, yeah this this will be his twelfth year returning, and uh, you know we had uh, we always have a huge lineup, and the great thing about comics is there's something wrong with all of us. That's why we become comedians, and with me we just know it's the blindness. But the the great thing about comics is they're so generous with their time. I mean, between the twelve shows in New York, four in Los Angeles, and one in South Beach. We've had over 80 national headlining comedians donate their time to Laugh for Sight. None of them get paid to perform. And uh, we've had everybody from uh, Robert Klein, which will be his 12th year, to Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan, Jim Norton, Sarah Silverman, Stephen Wright, Paul Rodriguez, Bill Burr, Russell Peters, Pablo Francisco, Gilbert Gottfried. I could go on for the rest of the show. but You named a lot
1: of heavy hitters in there.
3: Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. murder. And,
1: that's murderers row uh, of, of stand up comedians. You just you just listed.
3: It is. It is. And Dave Attell, like I said, I could just go on forever. And all these comics have donated their time this year. We're still working on the lineup. Uh, Robert will be there. Uh, we're going to have Francis Ellis from Barstool Sports, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Adrienne I- uh one of the funniest women in comedy. Um Brian McCarthy, who co-hosts Kevin Brennan's show, is going to be hosting this year's benefit. Uh, Richie Redding will be there as well. And we've got a couple of very, very big VIP guests who you know about. We just can't mention publicly yet due to their schedules. But let's just say... Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be able to announce them as the date gets closer to November twelfth, and uh, we're very excited. We we always put together an amazing show, and it, like I said, it raises money for retinal degenerative eye disease research uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, where they are leading the research, in, uh, leading research for gene therapy. And uh, you know, we're doing it thirteen years though, but how good of a job are we doing? Because we still haven't cured blindness. <laughs>
1: well, you've you've only thirteen years isn't that long? I mean, give give yourself That's a true. break. Give yourself a little bit more
3: time, but that's true that's true um, but we're, um,
1: yeah so i mean you uh you when did you officially go blind
3: uh you know i have retinitis pigmentosa and i was working in the movie business uh out in los angeles and actually if any if you ever saw Die Hard, nakatomi was my office building so i got to go to nakatomi plaza every day for work <laughs> and i was on my way to work one day got in a car accident nobody was hurt and I knew I was – I was diagnosed at 13 with this eye disease but started having the problem in 98. In 2000, I started walking with what's known as a white cane, and uh, that's because my visual field was shrinking and shrinking. And then in 2009, um, I ended up getting a guide dog. You know, And what I just noticed, maybe I'm the reason the Yankees win the World Series because I started walking with the cane in 2000, and I got the guide dog in oh nine. Those were both World Series years for the Yankees. <laughs> That's not bad,
1: although Nash Nash probably gets more credit than you do.
3: Yeah, I took him to a Yankee game. He's only been to the new stadium once. Uh, I'm, a, I guess, an old-school guy. I'm still missing the old stadium. And uh, I took him to the game, and the whole time he sat with his butt to the game, and we're thinking, well, he doesn't even watch this at home. Why does he want to be there live? And then we realized the people sitting directly behind us were eating the entire game. And he was he's just staring yeah. at them and everything. Yeah. So, that was really funny but uh yeah you know it's you know it, it's interesting i started walking with the cane in 2000 i just moved back to new york in 2000 and i'd only been here since august so you're talking about september october 2 months didn't know very many people and come world series time against the mets i get disabled seating <laughs> Uh, we got about twenty fifth row behind home plate. It was amazing how many friends I had all of a sudden. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey Brian, you you got tickets for tonight's game? Let me let me tag along. But uh, we were
3: yeah, sorry, we were sitting ahead. eight seats from Clemens' mom, who was in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank. And let's just say I've got a foul mouth. But when Clemens threw the bat at yeah. Piazza, I learned a lot of new curse words from the Mets fans that night. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh my God, that was that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a baseball game. Was him mm-hmm. tossing that bat at him? Um, just imagine if it just stuck into his, his, into Piazza's thigh, which it, it was very close to happening.
3: It it, it could have, and everything, and uh, it, it was definitely the strangest thing. I don't think – the, the two angriest people I've ever seen on a baseball field are both Yankee games because it's got to be Clemens with Piazza and then, of course, the angriest man on the planet, George Brett. Yeah, so
1: That's, that's you, a little uh, bit before my time.
3: Oh, you, you see – I know you've had to have seen the highlight. Of course of Brett I've Brett seen
1: Brett that highlight a million times. My dad Class. tells me about it all the time because those 70s teams were my dad's teams growing up.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well that was a little before my time at least, the 70s teams and I grew up in the 80s when they really sucked. <laughs> you got you had Donnie Baseball though. We did, but I was a Winfield guy. I was a Winfield guy. Mr. So, you I were a Mr. Of, May you know, guy? Winfield was great, man. That know, guy was so athletic and uh, I just loved Winfield and everything, but yeah, you know, I grew up with those teams and everything. So I, I I though did get to enjoy the 90s championships probably a little more than you uh with a couple of adult cocktails, or several adult cocktails yeah, and
1: That's day. what I always tell Scott because he was in uh I believe he was in a senior in high school in 96. Or okay. no, that's a little bit too late. He was he was in high school in that time frame and then into college. So he just drank his way through the the 90s run.
3: I I had my classic my buddies from college that I watched those games with and We had a buddy that was the ultimate jinx, a guy by the name of Rory Spanier, who may even listen to your show. Huge Yankee fan. And I I forget it was what games during the World Series, but Coney was in the the fifth or sixth inning with a no-hitter. And Rory shows up late and walks in. First, hey, Coney's pitching a no-no. Boom, base hit and everything. And uh, the guy was the ultimate jinx. Then the following year... He, he texts us. He's like, hey, guess who I hung out with and drank last night with it was David Wells. And the next day, Wells gets traded for Clemens.
1: <laughs> was it was it, uh, was it at Dorian's on the Upper East Side? Because that's where I heard Coney and Wells spent all of their time.
3: No, this was actually down in Florida during – I think it was – it must have been spring training or something. Okay, I, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, this was down in Florida. So, but, yeah, it's great, though, when you have a, a friend that's the ultimate jinx and everything. And uh, Although I did just have a buddy who was up here in New York staying at a hotel, and he ran into David Wells about six to eight times at the hotel bar. So that, that was kind of <laughs> interesting. and everything. Good to see that Wells hasn't changed.
1: Yeah, good – I, I believe uh, it was Cone on the broadcast that said after the ninety eight celebration, he was like, Thank God that David Wells left town, my liver needed a break.
3: I always heard that Coney was a lot crazier than Wells. So who knows what's true.
1: Coney is the one who is crazy, but he also can present himself. And I think he's a fantastic analyst on the S network. And he was always the he was always one of the heads of the players union and one of the guys that was the leader of those Yankees teams. So I think you're right. He would go crazy, but then at the same time he would be a team leader and could present could present himself
3: you're right and it's because of coney and o'neill you know, you said oh you was when we first became friends you like uh, said oh you must listen to all the yankee games on the radio and i'm sorry i'm just not a sterling and susan fan and you know, especially for a blind guy, and I, well, I guess anybody listening on the radio, they just get lost so much. And I just love listening to Coney and O'Neill and the great stories they have to tell. And I, I'm I'm very excited that Kenny Singleton will be back uh, for another year. And amazingly, the Yes Network for for somebody that's blind or visually impaired, I've noticed this. I will never ever watch another game on ESPN, and not because as Scott loves to say, A Rod is just terrible, and you've got to catch him before the third inning or he runs out <laughs> of Cliff yeah. Notes to talk about, but they won't tell you anything that's going on in the field and that's what's important to, you know, somebody that can't see the game. We like to know what's going on in the field and Michael K and the S yes network does actually a pretty good job of letting you know what's going on on the field and uh, I'm able to follow along pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like there's certain times on the TV broadcast they let the game breathe and there'll just be a few pitches where they don't really say much, but you're able to follow it in, even in those pitches because I guess if there is something that is happening whether it's a strikeout or an out or a hit, they're going to mention it.
3: What would drive me nuts was probably one of my favorite moments in baseball, which was when Ripken uh, broke the streak and he took that lap around and Berman didn't talk for 12 minutes. Now, as somebody who's totally blind, that would just be painful. I'd be like, what the hell, man? They cancel the game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you could still see at that point.
3: That point, I could, yeah, I was able to actually, I was able to see up until I, I was able to see a little of the 09 World Series on TV, and uh, then after that, I don't know if it's because they, you know, weren't as good. They <laughs> that uh, <laughs> what happened? It's just kind of ironic timing and everything. But uh, but you reason... do learn to listen though, and and it's amazing with the, the especially with sound being so great on televisions these days. It's amazing the stuff you can hear. I mean, the crack of the bat and baseball is so much easier to follow uh, than football on television where football, oh, it's definitely mess. radio. Yeah, I can't yeah, imagine,
1: I cannot even um, imagine. I mean, I can't put myself in your shoes anyway, but to try and follow a football game, not being able to see it, like I, I don't like listening to football. I can only imagine how difficult that is. And um, I mean, you at least c- could remember when you were able to see it so you can visualize certain things. But if someone has been blind their whole life, how the hell would they possibly be able to know what's going on in a
3: football game? Yeah, well, people often ask me, they say, you know, oh, it must be so much easier to be go blind later in life than to be born blind. And, and I always have the same answer to when somebody says that to me. I, I say, well, somebody that's born blind, you could put an apple in their hand. And for all they know, that apple looks like a Ferrari. I know what that apple looks mm. like. But on the flip side, I know what Jennifer Aniston looks like. So I know what I'm missing out on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, she's been getting better with age, too.
3: Yeah, that's what I hear. Her and Sandra Bullock and everything, and yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, it's all about those memories and everything, and, uh, you know, (laughs) thankfully, technology, I mean, it's amazing. Technology's incredible. I, I have, you know, the Sonos speakers. I've got speakers everywhere, and you could with the we call it the A Lady A L E X A. Otherwise, I'll set off like thirty devices in here. <laughs> I could play the Yankee game if I want to on any of those devices. I could play it on my iPhone wherever I go and everything. And uh, you know, it's it saved me a lot of money going blind because I don't have to buy that MLB package or the NFL package to see the <laughs> to see the video anymore. So going blind has actually made me a richer person yeah. financially.
1: That's a good way to look at it. Well, the reason yeah. I was asking you is when when you went blind because I was curious if you used stand-up as sort of an outlet to deal with the the stuff that was going on with you going blind.
3: I started in stand-up in 04. so I could still... I, I started going on, on stage with the cane at first, and when I started out in stand-up, I came across as the pissed-off blind guy, and I learned very quickly nobody wanted to see a pissed-off blind guy. And yeah. once I started having fun with it and relaxing and everything, it was so much better received than... I found comedy. Um, I've never been into therapy. You know, it works for some people. I've tried it. It just wasn't for me. And once I started going blind, you know, severely, anytime something bizarre or weird that would happen in my daily routine, instead of getting angry about it, I'd be like, thank you. How's that going in the act? And mm-hmm. I was just at the pharmacy, uh, and I'm still, you know, this is just how the process works just to give you an idea with comedy and just because something's funny with your buddies at a bar doesn't mean it's (laughs) going to be funny in front of 200 complete strangers on stage and everything but the pharmacist said to me oh uh i was asking for something they were going to write down a new doctor's name and i said oh can you email that to me she says well what if i write it on a sheet of paper and press really hard (laughs) (laughs) like that's not exactly how it work like that lady What's scary is she's working with pharmaceutical drugs, and uh, that that was just, yeah. Well, it's just a two year program. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard. (laughs) Exactly. You can get that at community college, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just, yeah, like I said, it's just figuring out a way. and, And, you know, Robert Klein and other comics and I, we've had many a debate. They say, oh, it must be so much easier for you when you're up there because you can't see the crowd and you don't, you know, see fate. But I find it harder because they could react to something. I come from an improv background, and they could react to something they see in the crowd. Where me, I'm doing everything on sound. So mm. I've been heckled, and wow you you really have to you have a gotta be a bonus. real
1: dickhead to heckle a blind comedian. Come on!
3: Oh God, I've I've been heckled, and uh, some sometimes it's uh, it's 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 gone pretty well. It's added to the act, and I'll tell you, one of the One of the best lines I was doing, there's a ship out in L.A. called the Queen Mary. Uh, It's a famous ship that came back from World War II, and it's really weird because my grandfather came back from World War II on this ship, and I got invited to do two comedy shows out there. So it's kind of cool. And the first show goes great. Awesome show. Second show, I'm doing the same exact material, different crowd, and I'm getting crickets. And I'm going to tone this down, but it popped into my head. I said, what are the odds? A blind comic and a deaf audience. <laughs> <laughs> did that?
1: Did that get a laugh? Nothing.
3: nothing oh. I just knew the crowd was not. Yeah. So yeah, and there was a couple of four letter words in there, but I yeah. figured you know for the PG crowd we'd leave those out. But yeah, yeah it's amazing. You know, it, it's 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 been a fun ride, and uh, you know it's all going to culminate, uh, like I said, this uh, November twelfth, Monday. It's a Monday. People are always like, well, why do you do it on a Monday? Because a lot of people from out of town can't come, and we say. We do it on a Monday because Gotham's been so great to us. They, they give us the use of the club for free. They're not going to do that on the weekend. Most comics are working on the weekend, so it gives us a wider variety of comics that are available uh, to do the benefit and everything. And, uh, you know, tickets um, – <coughs> If you're interested in coming to this year's show, you can go to GothamComedyClub.com, click on November 12th uh, for tickets, or you could go to LaughForSight.com and click on the ticket link there. It all takes you to the same place, and tickets uh, are, for general admission, they're $40 with a two-drink minimum, or if uh, you like the drink, they're $125 uh, with an open bar, and we do have a little pre-party that everybody's invited to. That starts, I believe, at seven thirty PM, runs to eight thirty, and we've we've got some special stuff that goes on there. And as you noticed, we have a, a big silent auction that Grandstand Sports puts on with a lot of really cool Yankee and other sports memorabilia.
1: Yeah, it was a ton of fun. It was me, my sister, and my my now fiance who were there last year. You were you were gracious enough to to give us three VIP passes, and it was a ton of fun. I'm going to be there again. I can't wait for it. Um, so definitely encourage everybody listening to, to go tickets and, and support Brian, support the cause. And you're also going to see some really, really damn good comedians. Um, but I was, I was on the website today. I was reading your bio cause they have a little bio of you on, on Gotham comedy club. Yeah. And I saw the line that you are the least attractive person to ever appear in Maxim magazine. So I had yeah. to, of course, Google the picture of when you were in Maxim magazine. And I think you're being a little hard on yourself.
3: Uh, it's a funny line. I mean, it's, a, it's a good say line. Something. I mean, but think of all the women that are in Maxim magazine <laughs> and everything. So I like to say, you know, I've, I've had I've had uh, I've had about five, 15 minutes uh, of fame. And if people Google me, they'll find some hilarious. And it's funny because a couple of my bartenders have gone above and beyond uh, to find even more stuff out there that's a little embarrassing like short films that i've done and and just really weird but i had the maxim magazine i was their comedian of the month and uh then i i, I was on top gear usa for you sports fans uh where you could google and, and see nash my guide dog and me driving a race car on a racetrack in la and uh i was on a couple of television shows and stuff like that so i've had a few you know i'm an opening act uh, i've been very fortunate i've Performed at every comedy club in New York and Los Angeles, uh, a lot of places in between. I've gotten to know pretty much everybody, everybody in comedy that I would want to get to know. The only thing that sucked is I got into comedy just a little too late. Otherwise, there was a really good chance I would have gotten to meet Rodney and and uh, mm. and Richard Pryor because because Robert was very good friends with both of them, and right. it was just unfortunate they passed before I got to know them. But uh, yeah, so uh, definitely come check out Laugh for Sight and I. Guarantee you'll have a, a great time. And uh, besides the people I've mentioned, like I said, there will be two or three potentially other very special VIPs there.
1: All right. So before we, uh, we wrap this up, got to get your thoughts on the tailspinning Yankees. Uh, what, how are you feeling as we're approaching the one game card once again this season?
3: You know, it's funny. I grew up, and as a kid, we outgrow these things. I had a bad temper as a kid, and my temper seems to be resurfacing but only on Twitter, through my fingers <laughs> and my keyboard. And it all – good friends of mine – like, for example, Jim Gaffigan follows me on Twitter, and I'm always a little bit afraid he's going to stop because I can just reach out to him privately through there. I'm a little afraid he's going to stop following me because he's sick of all the angry Yankee yeah. tweets. Yeah. but. Uh, I'll tell you, it was interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I don't ever recall being this upset and disliking a Yankee manager this much. Ooh. I was, I, I didn't, I was, I said to myself last year, I understand if they let Girardi go, but I understand if they bring him back. And I'm, I'm actually really missing Joe so Girardi. you're cause.
1: on the you don't like Boone camp? Because it is a very decisive line, it feels like, with Yankees fans over the last two months. You're either on Boone's side or you're not on Boone's side.
3: I don't think it's all Boone's fault. Maybe this is me turning into one of those get-off-my-lawn old men, but I, I think they're coddling these guys too much, and we, we need the manager from Bull Durham to throw them on the shower and throw the bats and tell them they're lolly they're lollygaggers. They mm-hmm. lollygag around the infield, they lollygag around the outfield. They're lollygaggers, and uh, yeah, actually Robert Wool, who was the co-manager, did laugh for sight in L.A. Uh, one year, who was in uh, Bull Durham and everything. But yeah, not uh, I I just don't know what it is, and I I think it's a lot to do with just the way they treat these players nowadays and you know Billy Martin would never put up with this stuff but uh you know that was a long time ago in a different era but what are your thoughts so, <laughs> right so I, that's I, the I've thing heard a like, lot of them, well yeah. with
1: the with the whole like uh they they coddle the players I agree but I just don't see that changing so I've kind of gotten I've had to get over it because that's just that's the that is the manager that Brian Cashman hired and they hired him specifically to do that so at this point, you kind of just got to suck it up and hope the players turn around.
3: And I got to tell you this. As a blind guy, there's nothing more boring than listening to guys constantly swing and miss on television. <laughs> That's that a they good can't point. See. It's torturous. <laughs> Tor- I'm like, what? Oh, another guy struck out.
1: And all the strike walks, out, struck, Strikeouts. Same. And home, I guess home runs are exciting, but a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts.
3: Ah, it's 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 torture. And, i i i it's not their year we just have to really you, know, you,
1: you know you can't say that yet i let's i i keep saying i keep trying to be positive about it. They have at this point two and a half weeks to get their head out of their ass and see if they can get ready for that wild card game
3: they do and i I just feel they're i feel that it's it seems like almost every player not not Diddy, not um not diddy or or torres or Andujar. uh Almost every player underperformed on this team, even Stanton for this year. And I, I don't know what the reasoning is, but I think—and this is funny. This is this is kind of funny for a blind guy to say. I get the advanced analytics but sometimes I think they're trusting the advanced analytics too much and they're not trusting what they're seeing with their eyes and their eyes actually work. So, you know, what the hell do you need them for if you're not going to trust what's what you're seeing in front of you and everything. So, I just, you know, a little disappointed with the, the this much use of the advanced analytics and I think sometimes it hampers them and everything. But I guess the game is changing an awful lot and I don't know if it's a good thing, but uh, the way it's changing, but uh, I'll be rooting for them, you know, screaming my head off and everything. And uh, the question is, can I go out in public and watch that wild card game or do I want to stay at home where I don't want him? My guide dog doesn't judge me when I scream stupid things about the Yankees in the playoffs.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. You, like you said last year, you, you did half the game out and then half the game back in your apartment, right?
3: No, no, no. I was – I made it – I got so angry in the first inning at Severino. Oh, the I was,
1: first inning? So you made I it happen. So, I,
3: I lived so close to my neighborhood <laughs> bar. I was home by the time Diddy hit the home. Right.
2: Yeah,
3: but I'll, I'll leave you with this. So the funniest thing, when I got my guide dog in 09, I used to be one of those typical guys that screamed at the Yankees on TV. And that would have been painful from 09 till now. But I learned very quickly my guide dog doesn't like yelling. So, not only has he helped me get around and improve my life, he's lowered my blood pressure because the only time I really yell at the Yankees on TV anymore is during the playoffs. So, but uh, not regular season games or anything. But,
1: uh, no, it's too many of them to to get the blood pressure going like that. Although, I have not listened to my own advice because every single night I find myself screaming at the damn TV.
3: Uh, Try sending out an angry tweet or two. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've
1: got that covered, too.
3: I Um, try and do it a humorous way, at least. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, So, but, uh, And don't ever read. By the way, if I ever thought I was a stupid Yankee fan, just look at hashtag Yankees, man. <laughs> oh my God, there are a lot of people out there that don't know a thing about baseball.
1: Yeah, that's just like collecting all the idiots into one feed.
3: So <laughs> it's fun to read from time to time, though. Yeah. But no, I really appreciate uh, you having me on to absolutely help laugh for sight, talk a little Yankee baseball, you and. You and and Scott are doing a fantastic job with this show. And, uh, you know, the the reason I don't come to any of the events at Yankee Stadium is, like I said, that it's just not fun for a blind guy to be at the stadium, especially the problem that sucks is you have. The game on the phone but it's delayed so you I'd hear the there's...
1: crowd going and then and then you hear it on your phone two yeah. minutes
3: later yeah. oh that's what happened so that's, uh yeah i i i can imagine but uh, absolutely season, an event in a bar that'd be kind of cool yeah so. we, yeah.
1: We're, i think we're gonna we're gonna plan some extra things for next year because we did only the in uh, in-person events this year next year i think there's gonna be a few different types of things like like you just mentioned maybe a couple of bar events a little more casual meetups but I'm going to put all of the information for Laugh for Sight in the show notes, so if you guys are interested in buying tickets, go look it up there. And Brian, thanks again for
2: joining us.
3: Thanks again for having me, go Yankees.
2: Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.